This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 199 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Right now, in the NHL, guys, I think it's probably two of the greatest absolute greatest conference finals I can never remember. A couple of 3-0 series leads. It's looking like Vegas, an old friend Bruce Cassidy against the team that, of course, eliminated the Boston Bruins a few about a month ago and the Florida Panthers. So before we dive into the Bruins, let's just get a quick take from you guys each on on the the conference finals that man, what what riveting television. Well what really stands out to me is how a Florida has just stayed red hot, but two, how it's almost changed how, how they've done it. Like against the Bruins, it was all about offense, very high scoring series, which, you know, we know is not the series the Bruins would have wanted to play. It did kind of fit more of the style that Florida has been. Um, didn't think either team got very good goaltending other than maybe a game here or there. Since then, for Florida, it's been all about Sergei Bobrovsky. He's just he's on like an absolute heater for two rounds now. Uh, I think he's he's up to like a nine eighty something save percentage in this series. Like it, it's just crazy. It's you know it's a uh, Tuca in the twenty thirteen conference finals that sweep over Pittsburgh, where it was like, all right, like yeah, they're doing a good job defensively, but. Like he's just straight up not getting beat. Like he's just a brick wall. There, there's absolutely nothing you can do when you run into a goalie like that. Um, and obviously, you know, we know Bobrovsky has been a two-time Vezina winner, so it's been in there somewhere. But it's just been years since we've seen this. And you know, if you're the Panthers, I mean, what a time to to get this kind of performance from him. And if he keeps it up, like they're they're probably going to win it all. I mean, Vegas is is a really good team as well, but they, you know, and Aiden Hill has played well for them, but um has just totally taken over. And like, you know, Florida hasn't really had to score all that much. Their five on five scoring has dried up a little, you know, some of that's Carolina, but like it hasn't even mattered with the way Bobrovsky has been playing. So that's kind of been my biggest take takeaway watching this is just like, you know, the, the Bruins didn't even run into that Bobrovsky, honestly. And so, well, they had Alex Lyon to start the series. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, it's almost like if the Bruins had faced this Panthers team and like Bobrovsky just went off like this, you'd be like, all right, well, what are you supposed to do? It's, but the fact that they didn't, they didn't even run into this Bobrovsky and he wasn't even doing this yet and still lost that series, just, uh, you know, kind of more, more salt in the wound that, you know, we probably don't have to totally rip open again for Bruins fans, but. Well, the, the funny thing to me is that Toronto fans thought it was funny when the Panthers beat the Bruins. <laughs> and then Hurricanes fans thought it was funny when the Panthers beat the Bruins and then the Maple Leafs. And now the Hurricanes fans are not thinking it's that funny because they came and they took the first three games of the series. And they're, um, yeah, Florida is. Clearly, the, the crazy thing to me still is that they only made the playoffs because Pittsburgh lost to two horrible teams at the, at the end of the season. Like, they they really were not set. They didn't set themselves up to make the playoffs except for, um, you know, actually Alex Lyon starting to get hot towards the end of the season without Bobrovsky. But it, it, it still kind of makes me wonder what would have happened, like, Say Pittsburgh somehow wins that one game and Florida is not in the playoffs, like completely different playoffs because Florida, uh, they did make it and they've made the most of that opportunity. And they definitely have been playing it. This has been said a few times. They've been playing for their season for a while um, and they just continue to play like that. So they're a scary team to run into right now. And they're probably, I would say, the most confident team. If you watch how some of those guys are playing, 
Kachuk is playing like the most confident player in the world. <laughs> he's just out there. Um, and he is now a hero in Florida. So what he's been doing has been incredible. And yeah, he just, you, you wouldn't want to run into Florida. Um, they've proved why they were a true playoff team, even though they weren't in the playoff picture for a little bit there. Well, what's, what should be infuriating to Bruins fans. And I know Scott didn't want to rip off this bandaid, but isn't it just the way that the Bruins, of course, have to be that first team to spark this Cinderella run and spark this confidence for Florida? They have to be the original doormat. It's just, yeah, the Bruins are a bunch of uh, jackals for 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 losing to them in the first round. It never should have happened. And now, now this fantastic Cinderella eighth seed Stanley Cup run for Florida is it, it it ignites because the Bruins couldn't do what they were supposed to do. So. Good job, bees. All right, so we have a nice little mailbag segment to talk about for the rest of this episode. Yes. Before we do, Bridget, we have a new we have a new intro. Yes, <laughs> three third times a charm, right, guys? Um, we have we have a new intro. Um, we, this idea came to us during the season uh, because the Bruins PA announcer Jake Zimmer uh, is somebody that I've known. Scott met him uh, since he started doing the PA and. Scott came up to me and was like, why don't we have him do it? So um, we got Jake Zimmer to record our open. So brand new open that I put together the other day. Thank you, Jake, uh, for doing that for us. It, I think it makes it better because if you've ever been to the garden and you've heard, you know, a goal get announced or, or whatnot, it, that's Jake now. So <laughs> thank you, Jake, for doing that. Yeah, huge, hugely appreciated. Uh Fan of the pod, Jake, as as we know, um, definitely talked to him about podcast stuff a few occasions. So he's my former broadcast partner yeah. as well. <laughs> so like that's why I thought of it. I was like, I don't know, like very talk to Jake about podcast stuff, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and we were like we've been work trying to get a new intro for a while because, quite frankly, like our, our old one, I loved our old one, but it was long, long. and that's like not recommended in podcasting now to have that long of an intro. So we, we had to shorten it up at some point anyways. And, uh, you know, wanted to do something that would, you know, that people would like and, and hopefully recognize and not just have it be kind of, you know, just a random voiceover guy who I'm sure would have done a fine job, but you know, well, not, when, to, when, not to shit what, on the last guy, but he, he, he messed up our intro and said, Scott McLaughlin and said, this is skate well, pod. Instead of this is the skate pod, and I was like, I can't use this. <laughs> yeah, the the old. Oh, this intro, is our new one, and we like it so much better. The original intro is was appropriate at the time because we were taking over for for Ken and Matt Cowman, and we wanted to we wanted to keep a little bit of what they the the taste of what they started for the skate podcast. I mean, it's crazy to think. I mean, we took over, I think, at episode forty two, right? And here we are, one away from two hundred. So it's been a while, but we definitely wanted to, you know. Tip our, tip our cap to them who started it. And then at the time, we were only doing one episode a week. And once we went up to three, yeah, it's it's a bit of a long intro. So, so yeah, so thanks to Jake for for the new and improved. And, and yeah, so now this is the second episode that we're doing, I believe, regarding mailbag. And mm-hmm. this is something that Scott, Bridget, and I really wanted to 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 do throughout the summertime because, of course, this – you know, there's going to be different milestones. You get the draft and free agency throughout the summer and, and other things to talk about, development camp, blah, blah, blah. But it can get a little dry in the summertime. But because of our listenership and, and uh, listener engagement, you guys are quite literally providing us with an extra episode a week this summer. And so this is the second one of those. And we really appreciate the, the comments, questions, feedback. And, and I guess, Scott, maybe I'll throw it to you to kick off the latest and greatest. Uh, yeah, so th- this one was an email from Chip. Um, our email is skatepod at wei.com. You can also send us questions on Twitter, at the skatepod, or on YouTube for people who have been watching there. Um, YouTube.com slash video. All of our episodes get posted there, courtesy of Bridget, part of uh, all, all the extra work she does on top of just being uh, one of the co-hosts. Um, so Chip had talking trade possibilities, which, you know, we've covered a little bit, but 
says, wouldn't it be best for the Bruins to trade a player or two to anyone who is willing to take them? Hall, Allmark, et cetera. Whatever you get back, even a later on pick, is worth the money to sign a player like Bertuzzi. Like, say, Allmark and Mike Riley for a third-round pick. And then you also get, with that, you get money to sign Tyler Bertuzzi. So, essentially, so I, I don't like this idea or this kind of approach. Um, essentially, the idea is that you take less to, like, get rid of, to dump, a, you know, a contract or whatever. Um because the added benefit is that you get to sign someone like Tyler Bertuzzi and chips almost like factoring that into the trade. I don't like this because I don't, I don't think that's just, I just don't think it's a good way to operate. Like you can't, even though, yes, we know the Bruins are trading from a position of not having a ton of leverage because teams know, you know, they have to clear out salary somewhere. You can't just like, Give guy, especially if it's a Taylor Hall or Lena Solmark, like you can't just give those guys away for a mid to late, mid to late round pick. That's you very quickly become an organization that other teams are gonna keep trying to take advantage of, and will not. You're gonna have a really hard time winning trades in the future because they're gonna point to this trade and be like, "Hey, you only got a mid round pick for you know Vesson a trophy winner, like." you know, why, why would we give you a first round pick for someone else? So you can't do like, I, I get the thinking that, Hey, you just got to do whatever to, to free up some money, but you can't, you can't lose trades at least not badly. Like to me, if you're trading Lena Selmark, which I've said I'm open to you're it's for something really good. Like whether it's getting back in the first round, whether it's a top prospect, whether it's to address the center position whatever it might be like, it is not a salary dump. And I would say the same thing about Taylor hall. Like he he's coming off a good playoff run. I think he still has value around the league. He's not a guy I'm trade. I'm just giving away. There are other guys that, yeah, I might look to do that and just take any, you know, chip mentioned Mike Riley like that, that yeah. Okay. Mike Riley spent all season down in Providence. If you can get anything for him. Great. I would even say the same about Forbert. Like I, I think, Forbert's, you know, while you like some of the things he brings, is relatively replaceable. So if someone wants to take $3 million off your hands for him, like, cool, you know, give me the fifth, sixth round pick, whatever it is. Um, but you can't do that with guys like Allmark and Hall. Yeah, I think the good news is that you don't have to, because I think there'd be, when this is something we've covered in past episodes, there's plenty of teams that are out there that would be looking for an Allmark and be willing to give up because there's, I think, a decent amount of teams that would be looking into, you know, if they hear he might be available looking into him, uh, that drives up the price for him. So that means that you, you're probably never even in the situation like, oh crap, no one's, no one's inquiring. No one's no, there's going to be multiple teams inquiring more than likely, even if he's not available, I'm sure there's going to be phone calls made. So you're not going to be in the position where you're like, oh, I guess we'll take a second rounder for him because I think you're going to have, just because of the player that Olmark is, um, you're going to have much better offers to start with. Not There's not going to be like an insulting offer that you're like, oh, I guess we'll take it. So I think the good news is just that that's probably not where you are and you probably can get a higher round pick or prospects uh, for someone like Olmark, in particular Hall as well. So um, the good news is you you probably don't have to worry about trading for kind of, you know, a a later round pick. But to the second part of this, which is to do anything to get Bertuzzi, which I think is kind of the main point, is that really what Chip is saying is that he really wants them to keep Bertuzzi. And I think a lot of fans would be in the same boat as him. I think the organization probably also is very interested in how they might be able to get him to stay. So guys, uh, in terms of what it would take to keep them, did you want to just hit on that a little bit? Well, um, Scott, maybe, maybe you know a little bit more of the cap gymnastics they would have to to get to. I mean, I, I'm I'm all for whatever it takes to to keep Bertuzzi. I, I know it's not ideal to. I mean, I I guess I would echo what you said, Bridget. I, I feel like a 29 year old, soon to be 30 year old, reigning Vesna Trophy winner. 
which I think we all know Allmark would be this summer. You're going to get at least a first if you trade him, right? I would imagine. I don't think it's I – would, I would have to imagine. So, I, I yeah, I think – I don't think you'll have to to trade for pennies in the dollar for Allmark. You should be able to get what you need from him. If you don't want to bring back somebody in return that you'll be spending on the cap, if you just want picks, I'm sure that the Bruins can get what, they, what they're looking for. But as far as what the Bruins need to do to – get to a point where they can potentially afford Bertuzzi by free agency in July. I think probably Scott might be better to answer that than, than myself. Yeah. So I, I like to, I've mentioned this before. I like to use evolving hockey's uh, contract projections, which, you know, I think are usually pretty solid. Like they're in the ballpark on a lot. And for Bertuzzi, they have him projected at four years, five and a half million per year. Um, if he really liked it here, maybe he takes a little less. Maybe if you go to a fifth year, you get the average annual value down a little. Like, you know, I could potentially see five years, five million a year. Like that kind of makes sense as as a nice round number. Um, so if you're looking at, you know, where to move out, that that alone would take up your entire free cap space right now. In fact, five and a half would be more than you have now. But if you trade Allmark, that's five million. Or if you trade Taylor Hall, that's six million. So, like you, you're looking at the right guys in terms of, you know, you're you probably have to move out one big ticket item in order to sign another. Um, and I'm open to both of those for for reasons that we've laid out before, which is, you know, especially if if Bergeron and Krejci both retire, then there's a little bit of a reset retool happening anyways. Like you're, you're not going into next season as a cup favorite. It's not to say you're totally out of it and there's no chance, like see how next season goes and maybe you're in a good spot. But if that's what happens, like I, I would rather be looking for the guys who are going to be here beyond the next one or two years. So all Mark with two years left, it would be the right time to look into moving him. Same with Hall, two years left in his 30s. Like, those are the kind of guys that you should be potentially okay with trading if it means that you're locking up a, a Tyler Bertuzzi for four or five years, you know, through his prime years, through his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, and I think we all, all three of us agree that if you can, can manage it, then you definitely want to target him because he fits in a lot of ways into this organization. Um and he did well when he came over. And you're looking to, like Scott mentioned, add players that are going to be part of this transition into this new era without Bergeron uh, so, and Krejci. So I think everybody would agree if you can keep them, then sure. But in, in the past, I just have a gut feeling that he's he's probably going to get an offer somewhere else that might be more enticing to him. Um, maybe not even it might not even be about the number it might be because he'd just rather play there um, for whatever reason so uh, it's in his hands even if the Bruins are able to uh, open up that space I assume that negotiations with him would be top priority for the Bruins um, at this point though they do have a lot of free agents uh, going into the offseason they have the Pasner contract out of the way. So we're not dealing with that again this offseason. Uh, and that would be a really scary one. But that kind of leaves time to for Sweeney to negotiate with Bertuzzi and then uh Krejci and Bergeron kind of gauge their interest in whether or not they're coming back. So um once again, Krejci said he would have his decision pretty soon. And um we haven't heard it yet, but maybe maybe it's coming around the corner. And as Scott mentioned, I think last episode or the one before that, just because we don't know, doesn't mean yeah. the Bruins don't know, right? So I guess uh, there, there is a question about about the Bruins' priorities, assuming no Bergeron and Krejci next year, but perhaps you guys wanted to finish before, off. Yep. Just before we move on, I can actually tell you exactly when we're going to get a Krejci decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is going to be next weekend because I'm away for a bachelor party. And these guys always announce these things when I am not around. So okay, so I'll be writing. Is what yeah. it sounds like. Uh, I'll be so writing. June circled June third and fourth on your calendar. That's when that's coming. Well, what that's happened last cool. time when you when you went away to to Europe for 
about mm-hmm. a week or two. What, what what dropped then? I forget. Bergeron, it was Bergeron, Krejci, Yeah, oh, it was everything. So it was, okay, okay, that's. <laughs> well, it wasn't I, the Zach, the Zaka trade had happened, but I think it was his. It was his press conference. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was that's on cool. like, I was on three different Zoom calls that like. It, one day or maybe there were two days that that Scott was gone. I was just on Zoom calls all day uh, with those three new contracts being discussed. So, yeah, that that did happen. Um, <laughs> that that would be our luck. We'll get drunk Scott on here to react um, to the crazy news as soon as it happens. But <laughs> so, did we want to touch real quick on what number we think? Did we already touch on the the uh, Swayman number? No, so we can we can go into that a little bit. So uh, one of our other questions from our YouTube comment from George McElroy was, uh, what number do you think the Bees will have to give Swayman in order to re-sign him? Because he is a restricted free agent this year. So um, they will be, nego- so, as well as Trent Frederick. Um, so they will be trying to negotiate a contract with Swayman. So guys, I had some of the numbers up and there's, a minimum qualifying offer that you do have to give a restricted free agent. So Scott, did you want to kick it off? Uh, I, so I actually don't know. Do you have what Swayman's number is? Um, because, but I, so evolving hockey projects them at three years, 4.1 million a year. Um, I think it'll probably, probably be less than that. I don't, I don't think Swayman quite has, enough leverage to, to get over 4 million. Um, my guess is going to be maybe like more in the 3 million a year neighborhood, but that could depend. I mean, it's goalies are always tough because like sometimes these come in much lower than you anticipate. And sometimes if that goalie can kind of successfully argue that he's already a starter, then maybe that pushes it a little higher. Um, I'm sure the Bruins would like to avoid arbitration and all that. So I think they'll get something done. And my guess is it'll be less than that evolving hockey projection of, of 4.1. I would think maybe like maybe knock a million off that. Yeah. Yeah. So the qualifying, technically the qualifying offer only has to be 105%. What So basically only 5% more of yeah. what his previous contract was. So that's the minimum offer that they have to give Swayman which obviously isn't a huge number. Yeah, that, that's only like a million. So obviously yeah. it'll be more than that. Way more than that. It should be more than that, yes. And Frederick as well. So Frederick had his career best year. So um, then the way that that works is, and, and when we talked to him, he did say he wants to stay in Boston, which obviously um, he's a restricted free agent. So that would be the easiest way for both teams to go uh, in terms of getting a deal done. But um, so yeah, Swayman, and Frederick are the guys that the Bruins are going to have to negotiate those contracts with, but theoretically shouldn't be a problem. Do you guys think? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, they're again, just to like keep the guys that they have to keep just to fill in a roster. Like they are going to have to move some money out at some point. So some of this stuff might drag on depending on, what trades to get come together or whatever, you know, something that'll probably happen around the draft. Um, but yeah, keeping, keeping Swayman and Frederick should not be an issue. Um, I think Lauko's a restricted free agent too. Again, I think that'd be, he would be pretty cheap money assuming there's mutual interest. Um, I think Mark McLaughlin's in a restricted free agent situation, but again, like that should be pretty easy to get done. Uh, assuming, you know, he wants to stay, which I imagine he does because that's why he signed here because he's a local kid and he grew up loving the Bruins and this is where he wants his place. So they'll, they shouldn't have much of an issue keeping all of their RFAs, um, but there could be some, there could still be some money moving around just to, just to get that done. Yeah. And, and I actually think so both Swayman and Frederick could be really important for the Bruins in the, the upcoming year. So getting those contracts, right. Um, is actually pretty important. If you think about it, Frederick can play center. So if you're losing Bergeron and Krejci, you have the option to move Frederick to center, just the same way you have the option to move Zaka to center. And I think Frederick has shown improvement. So um, there's somebody that can be flexible on your roster and Swayman can take over a starting 
goalie job for you, then that's great. And um, yet you set, you're setting yourself up for success over the next few years if you get those two contracts right. So, Bridget, do you want to go down a list here with uh, starting with the Bergeron speculation and just question about rehabbing potentially a little bit differently as we go down some of these these questions? Yes. So um, we had a question about Bergeron's injury, um, which he told us at the end of the season, he has a herniated disc. And the question is, will Bergeron need surgery for the herniated disc? He said immediately, he said, no, he does not need surgery. Um, and then looking further into what potentially recovery looks like for a herniated disc, it, it kind of depends on how severely it's, out of place. So um, when you look through whether or not someone needs surgery, it's basically says you, you only need the surgery if it's prohibiting you from doing certain things um, like standing and walking. Uh, we're pretty sure that it's not prohibiting him from doing that because he was playing hockey. Um, so rest is really what's prescribed for that. Unless for some reason over time, you really don't feel the pain going away or all of a sudden you do start having issues with weakness, um, ner pinched nerves, standing and walking, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think Bergeron's, uh, I think if he was able to play playoff hockey, then it's not too debilitating um, yeah. because back injuries are one thing that like, you don't mess with if there's any chance that it's more serious or gonna gonna get more serious. So, yeah, I assume rest will be fine uh, for that. Which, you know, that that's actually like different than Bergeron's summer last year when he didn't need surgery on his elbow. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is like one last thing, one less thing for him to to deal with as he kind of weighs, you know, pros and cons of potentially returning um obviously he's, he's really disappointed but he didn't suffer any injuries that were serious enough to require a surgery that potentially includes you know like a long rehab like obviously what we saw two go through right where it was like it's significant was going to significantly affect his following season and for a time you know he wasn't even sure if he was going to come back the bruins weren't sure if he was going to come back like at least bergeron's not dealing with anything like that because I think something like that would probably push him towards retirement. If it was like, Hey, like you might not be back till three months into next season and you might not be yourself. And like, you might not even be able to play through it like that. I don't think he'd really be in a spot to like want to do that, but um, this isn't that like, this should be mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Basically it says rest and physical therapy are cure most herniated discs except for the extreme cases and um like we mentioned you would know if it was an extreme case because he wouldn't probably be able to really even walk never mind skate uh and play professional hockey so um we think that surgery based on what Bergeron said himself is not going to happen so that answers that question let me pull up the next one um well, part this two one, of that, yeah. Part two of it. Yeah. Uh, should the Bruins have treated the injuries and recovery the same way they did in the regular season as in the playoffs? Because um, in the in the regular season, it seemed like a lot of care was taken to getting guys even more rest than maybe they needed. When you think back to the Jake DeBrusque injury at the Winter Classic, he was kept out of the lineup for longer than originally planned. Um when you think back to the recovery of all the guys coming back from surgery in the beginning of the year, they had cleared a lot of these checkpoints. Some of them did come back a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, Grizzly, McAvoy, uh, Marshawn, Bergeron all coming back early in the season. And it's, it seemed like care, more care was taken to make sure all the boxes were checked during the regular season when guys were coming back. Do you think that maybe slipped in the playoffs i heard jim montgomery mention the term checking boxes quite a bit in the in the postseason so i think they still have boxes to check i think it just depends on the injury 
and and the severity of it and if you're talking about something that has a, a specific timeline for for rehab like a broken hand or finger or limb or foot whatever then that's different but when you're discussing something like pain tolerance as it seems was the case with Bergeron's herniated disc I think there's a little bit more subjectivity I think in when that player comes back and I definitely think that there's still a protocol in place and and they want to the Bruins want to ensure that that they're not putting their players in a vulnerable state when they go out there. They have to be healthy enough to a point, but it just depends on the situation, right? Are you down in the series? Are you, is, is it, like I said, is it more of a pain tolerance type injury? I think there are certain injuries where it's clean cut. Like you're going to be out this amount of time and that's it. No matter what the circumstances are in Bergeron's case, Jim Montgomery mentioned it. He called Bergeron after the after game three and said, if we win game four, are you, are you good to go? And and Bergeron's or, or something like that. And Bergeron said, told, told him, I'm playing in game five. So I don't know. I, I think I think in the playoffs, there's where if that's a regular season, probably he's probably not rushing back to the lineup unless it's Montreal. Yeah. yeah, I think just hockey culture and tradition in general is like no, you you don't get as much rest in the playoffs. You don't wait until regular season. Yeah, you might wait. They might say rest up until you're ninety five percent. Playoffs. Hey, if you're seventy percent and you can go out, you you play. Now, I do think like there's larger discussions kind of going on about should that change? Like should team because players are always going to want to return as soon as as soon as they can step on the ice and skate and shoot and take a hit, they want to be back out there and they're going to say that they're ready to go. I do think there's like a larger discussion kind of going on around the sport a little bit about like, is that really what's bad? Like, is it really best to bring a guy back at 70, 75% and he potentially, you know, might actually hurt your team if he can't perform the way that he usually performs. Like, I think that's an interesting discussion and I don't know. I don't know what the cutoff would be as far as like, okay, if he, it obviously depends on the player, right? Like if it's a superstar and you're getting 75%, that's probably still better than the 13th forward you would throw in. If it's a third or fourth liner, maybe, you know, you keep him out if he's going to not be as effective. Um, I think the interesting one is if it's your goalie, because it's, like with the yeah. Bruins situation, you have a goalie that would have been perfect to put in, but in a lot on a lot of teams, you're talking about a goalie that's not seen a lot of time. And, you know, you may or may not trust how this backup could do in the playoffs. So I, I find that the most interesting how, because it is pretty clear Allmark wasn't a hundred percent. That was a big one <laughs> for how they handled that uh, being mishandled and uh, other teams, it would make sense to not take them out if, he was your main guy the whole season and you didn't trust the backup, but. Right. And like they went through that with two Garask two years ago too. So it's again, like it's all kind of part of these easy second guesses and reevaluations that you do after the fact. And, you know, of course we know Hampus Lindholm wasn't himself in the series and you want, you know, if, if they had known he had a broken foot, would that have changed their calculations there? Would he, you know, could you potentially have seen Lindholm, out of the lineup if, hey, by game four or five, he's still struggling, or at least maybe his minutes get reduced or something. Because, again, I know, like, like coaches will say, hey, we trust players, we have open communication, blah, blah, blah. But I just think in the Stanley Cup playoffs, like, Hampus Lindholm's not going to go to Jim Montgomery or John Gruden or whoever and be like, my foot really hurts. Like, I, I might only be able to give us 15 minutes tonight, like, Hampson Lundholm's not going to say that. He's going to push through and try to play 25. So um, that's this stuff is like all – these are all like the tough decisions that teams have to make this time of year. And when you lose and when you see Lindholm not himself and Allmark not himself and Bergeron comes back and they lose three straight and he's a minus four or minus five or whatever, like they become really easy second guesses about, you know, was it really best for those guys – to be out there at clearly, you know, something pretty far below a hundred percent. Are we ready for the next question? Yeah. On the, on the future. 
I was going to, I was going to go yes into the future, but the second one, cause okay. we can come back to the other one later. Um, but just because we don't have too much time left, I'm going to skip to the one. Uh, if Krejci and Bergeron retire is the Bruins biggest need centers again. Well, it's certainly going to be number one center. You would have to imagine. I mean, I think that the Bruins have two priorities. Number one would be creating cap space. And you're going to have to do that by allowing a lot of free agents to walk and integrate some internal options in your bottom six and most likely your bottom uh, three forwards. From there, I mean, look, no. if Dmitry Orlov walks, you still have McAvoy. You still have Grizzlick, assuming he's not traded or anything like that. You still have Carlo and Lynn Holm. Like you still, you you still have a very, 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 very good top four defense. And up front, yeah, you 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 your biggest need outside the organization most likely would have to be at least at least your number one center. Now the addition of Pavel Zaka and signing him for a four year extension, he's he's going to be a very very uh, adequate number two number two center in my opinion. And and could definitely play number one center minutes if asked along the way. But, and I think as we've seen with the Florida Panthers this year, clearly you don't need to have a stereotypical Stanley cup roster to go on a Stanley cup run. Although I do think Florida's roster is better than what most people give it credit for, but what you do need, you do need a legitimate number one center. I mean, they do have Alex Barkov. So I think if if Bergeron and Krejci walk, the Bruins got to ask themselves an honest question, which is, do you want to contend? Do you want, do you still view yourself as somebody who can compete at the highest level in the deepest parts of the spring? Because we know ownership wants that regardless, but they got, they got to figure that part out. And once they figure that out, then yes, if that's, if the answer is yes, and you got to figure out who your number one center is. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it also depends on like what, what's even out there like here I've said this before, but like one of my developing takes is if Bergeron and crazy both retire and there's going to be a little bit of a step back almost no matter what I'm okay with not like trying to force a move for a number one center this off season. Like I'm not going to all out where it's like, well, I just need to do whatever it takes. Even if I get, absolutely hosed in a trade and have to give up multiple firsts and like beyond what we've already given up. Like I, I don't feel the need to, to do that until they rush into it. Like I would be okay with, yeah. Lining up on paper, you know, your centers being Zaka coil, say Frederick and you know, maybe Mark McLaughlin as like the fourth line center. Like that doesn't look great. That kind of feels like, you know, a few guys playing one line above where they should be but I'm okay kind of just riding that out and like seeing how the season goes, reevaluating at the trade deadline, you know, seeing where Georgie Merkulov is seeing what Matthew Poitra does next season. Like try to get like a better idea for how close those guys are to potentially contributing in like a second or third line center role and just get a better feel for like where you are. Like that there could be options for them to get a number one center this off season. Um, Elias Lindholm up in Calgary is in going into the last year of his deal. Calgary has a new GM. They missed the playoffs this year. No one's really sure yet of like what their approach is going to be or what they're thinking, but he could be one. There's been plenty of rumors that Winnipeg is going to blow things up. They have Pierre-Luc Dubois as a restricted free agent. Mark Shifley with one year left. I don't know how much I love either of those guys because Neither one plays defense, and I think there's been like a cultural problem in Winnipeg that would sort of worry me worry me a little bit about getting anyone off that team. But I I do really like Pierre Luc Dubois as a player. Like I think he's talented. He's 24, I think, still. So, um, you know, like if there's like a deal that makes sense for one of those guys, then sure, can, you know, go make it. Like I I think those are good players that are worth targeting. But if the ask is crazy, like I'm not going, I'm not going totally overboard because I don't think while I like those guys, like I don't think any of them, you know, immediately get you back to Stanley Cup contender or anything like that. So plus that adds to your your cap. Right. That, they're all guys who need Bergeron and Krejci who together hit, had like a cap hit of like three and a half million together. Yeah. Two people. I mean, 
with someone who's going to take a lot more than that. Which is never going to happen. Like if, if you want to have a number one center, it's not going to be for a million and a half or no, $3 million. But so. I'm just saying like the, yeah. the cap situation, the but, way it is. Right. But it is accurate. To, like it is good to point out, like all those guys would be in need of a new contract. You're not trading for Elias Lindholm for one year. You're mm-hmm. presumably trying to re-sign him to an extension. Um, Dubois, like I said, an RFA who needs a new contract. So uh, yeah, those those guys are going to get paid. So that adds another dynamic of like now you have to clear out even more money. So and then you make your team weaker somewhere else. And, you know, you don't want to make a move that makes not only makes your team weaker somewhere else. Right now, but also takes away from what you're trying to build along the way um, over the next few years. So, yeah, Scott, that that I think makes a lot of sense that I wouldn't be in a rush either. Um, if the right guy's not out there for the right number. And it, it is true. Those guys would all be pretty much playing a line ahead of where they should be. I really like Pavel Zaka. I think him and Pasta, assuming those two get kept together, uh, that probably ends up being your first line if Bergeron's gone. Uh, whatever line Pasta knocks on really is going to be your first line if Bergeron and Krejci are gone, I think. So, um Zaka, I, I, I trust. I think moving Coyle up and Frederick up, it, say he's going to be, you know, their number three center, Coyle, their number two center, or what have you. Yeah, those guys are playing potentially a little bit um, above where they maybe naturally would be able to. But you never know. Coyle had a, had a good season, um, and he's getting paid like a number two center. So can he step it up? You, that's what the Bruins were hoping when they brought him in, right? So um, remains to be seen about those guys. But when you think a little bit down the line as well, I think, yes, center is a huge need in terms of depth because we talked about some of the guys with Mark Diver that could come up at center, um, Merkulov and McLaughlin, two that stand out, Beecher, someone that he said was maybe a little bit further away um, than those two. Those aren't those aren't solutions to really help them right now uh, in terms of filling one of those spots at center. So um, I guess, yes, center is still a big problem at depth. Part of the conversation we had with Mark as well is that defense in the Providence system and in the prospect pool is also somewhere that they need to add. So if you're talking about drafting, uh, who do they need to draft? Is it a center? Is it a defenseman? Might be a defenseman, uh, based on what it I sounds would, like. I would honestly, I I would probably still take some swings at center. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I don't think that you mentioned. If you that, get a first round pick back, what do you do with it? I'm going. I'm probably going center. Um, but but that's just me. I mean, look, you mentioned that Mark said that those guys are years away, but he but and Patra could could surprise us, right? Merkelov could surprise us, but. I don't think either of those guys, even long term, when they get to Boston, they're not they're not a number one center solution. So the Bruins' number one center of the future either a isn't in the system yet, which means he he's yet to be drafted, or b they're yet to you know trade for somebody or get somebody via free agency. So, and I'm not saying that that has to happen this year, but I don't think that their number one center of the future is currently in the system. And so if that's the case, I still think that your top priority at the draft should be center. Um, because I, you look at the blue line, you have Lynn Holman McAvoy, you have you have uh, Carlo, who's in his prime, you have Mason Lorai, who's pro- very promising top four defenseman. I think they're fine on defense. I really do, as it pertains to draft priority. But I'd say going into next year, I mean, look, we yes, like it's not ideal to have Connor Carrick as the second promising defenseman on, the, on Providence, of course. But like, I just think that the Bruins have enough ready defensemen right now in a pro in the NHL level, whereas the, they don't have that. You can't say the same for center if Bergeron and Krejci leave. So I think that has to still be your priority. But I think for the Bruins next year, as it pertains to next year's priorities, if if those two walk, uh, Zaka and like ownership is not gonna. I'm so devastated from how this season ended. Personally, I'm I'm good for taking a, a year off of cup hopes. Like I kind of want like a stress-free, expectation-free, just develop some players and, and, and talk to me again <laughs> next year. But the difference is 
the Bruins ownership doesn't feel that way. And because they don't have the 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 money, and if they and if they were to make a trade, you guys mentioned they'd have to pay some they'd have to pay those centers that they trade for. I think the most realistic pitch from from Neely and Sweeney to ownership is let us go into next year. Let's try to get to the deadline with center by committee with Zaka and Coyle and Frederick. We think we have enough pieces to still be a playoff team. And if maybe something presents itself around the deadline, maybe we'll try to upgrade. I think the Bruins and, and Cam Neely's comments in the end of season presser spoke a lot to me. There was, I, t- I put a lot of weight into those words when he's mentioned that he thinks the game three lineup in Florida could be very, very similar to what the Bruins put out next year. If Bergeron and Krejci were to leave, that does not include getting a new number one center. That was Zaka Coyle Frederick. So I, I would be very surprised if the Bruins try to bring in a number one center uh, this summer, I think they're probably going to try to just go internal and see where the team is uh, next February. And, and if they don't see it, they'll, they'll play out the spring. If they think there's a chance that they could improve the team, they'll exhaust all options. But I think next October, you're probably going to look at a team like you saw in Florida without Bergeron and Krejci. If those two retire. The problem with that statement from, you said Sweeney said that. Um, Neely. Um, the problem with that statement is that a lot of the other guys that were playing in that game are now free agents, including your fourth line center, Nosek. So, um, and you know, a lot of the guys around him. Uh, yeah, but, but I kind of, I kind of read that as him more. So you're, you're totally right about that. Of course. Bertuzzi, I kind of read I kind of read between the lines so that he was referencing the top two center positions. I kind of think that's what he was mainly referring to and maybe Bertuzzi. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that was my question to him. And like, that was, that was like the impetus for it was Bergeron and Krejci and, you know, potentially like moving on from that. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I think that was mostly him talking about the center position and, you know, yes, the roster overall, but that was obviously the big, um, the big change would be at the center position. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as the like draft and whatever, like first off, they got to get a pick to even, you know, have a chance to target like a top prospect, because if your first pick isn't until the third round, then at that point you're really just taking swings and you're just taking the best player on the board. Maybe you're, you know, they might be looking for higher upside guys because they don't, have those earlier picks. Um, if they were to get in back into the first round via trade, uh, not that I've done all my draft research yet, but my understanding is this is a forward heavy first round generally um, considered a little bit weaker in terms of first round defensemen. So not to say that like you couldn't find a defenseman, but I, I think just naturally like what, what wherever you're picking, whether you're, getting back into the middle of the first round or later first round, whatever does seem like there'll probably be more options at forward and potentially some higher upside there, including centers. So, um, and you never want to, it's one thing, like if all things are equal and you take, you know, a position of need, I think they kind of did that last year where they're what their first three picks were all centers. Um, but it's another to like reach for a position of need when there might be better options there, like at generally, especially in hockey where you're not getting that immediate return. Like I prefer to just take the best player available. And, you know, we would, I would use the example of Johnny Beecher, who was generally considered a little bit of a reach, but he was the best center on their board. So they took him, even though he probably wasn't really a first round talent. Now that was like the last pick of the first round. So, or very late first round. So, you're not getting like true first round talent at that point anyways. And, and that wasn't a great draft at that point, honestly, but there were considered to be like more talented players like, like Arthur Kaliev um, available at that point that the narrative was that the Bruins passed because they knew they needed a center. So they reached a little bit for Beecher. So I don't, you know, I don't love that approach, but yeah, if there's, if they get back into the first round and there's a center there, like, Absolutely. You, you definitely want to keep taking swings of that position because, you know, even if you have a bunch of center prospects, like 
some of them are going to be able to move to the wing at some point. So uh, it's it's easier to do that than to go the other way and try to turn, you know, a winger into a center. I remember, what was it, last year when, like, Fabian Lysel played two games at center for the Vancouver Giants, and people were like, oh, are they going to turn him into a center? And it's like, uh, no, like, that'd be, like, a major developmental change for him. Um, he's He's a wing. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so – I want to get to one last one from that was a comment on our last video. Um, and this is somebody that's commented on quite a few of our, our YouTube videos. Trent Miner said he wants a fourth line of Hathaway, Nosick, and Lucci. And we we hear, you know, talk of bringing Lucci back. Uh, he is a free agent. So uh, just thoughts, guys, on how that how, – how would they get Lucci back? Would that even – would that be a thing they would do? <laughs> I mean, Lucic would probably come back for very cheap money. Like, he's a free agent. He's, what, going to be 35, I think. You know, he probably doesn't have much time left playing in the NHL anyways. But if you're the Bruins, like, I don't really get why you would do that. Like, you you have to start getting some young guys into the lineup at some point. Now you're going to sign, you know, mid-30s Milan Lucic to come in. Like, for what? I'm sorry. Like, I, I loved Lucic when I was in high school. and you know, when I first started covering the team, he was a really good player in his day, but it's it's not his prime anymore. He, he's he's old. He's slow. He doesn't produce a lot offensively anymore. Like the, there's not a lot there. He's not. I dare you to say he's never been a, especially great defensively, and he's still not. So like, he doesn't even really fit that kind of like fourth line mold where it's like, oh well, he can be a a shutdown physical veteran guy. Like he's not even, it's not even really that anymore. So I, I know fans love him, but I don't really see what purpose he would serve. Like, unless he's, unless he's just like your 13th or 14th forward and he's just there for kind of moral support and be a good locker room guy, but you're not, you're not wasting any cap space on a guy who's not going to play for you. So um, to me, that would just block younger guys who should be, who should be getting a chance now. I think the comment comes from something that Mark said, though, about what he thinks the Bruins should add. And he said he needs someone on the team that nobody would want to go into the corner with and nobody would want to have to deal with. Uh, and Lucic obviously is one of those kind of guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see that being an October thing, though. Like, I, I feel like I think Lucic was was hoping that maybe he went to Boston this past trade deadline because he still has buddies in the team and they were on a historic run in the regular season. And I think he saw a chance for him to go try to win a Stanley Cup again in a familiar city with some familiar old school teammates that are still in Boston. I think you take Bergeron off this team, Krejci off this team, even if the Bruins wanted him. I don't think Krejci, I mean, uh, Lucic would really want to pick up his family and move 3,000 miles east. I think it's just, um, I I think maybe it would have he would have done it for a couple of months this past trade deadline, go for a playoff run stay with one of his buddies in Boston while the family's home in, in, in BC. And, but I don't, th- but first of all, it's just everything Scott said, it's not in the Bruins interest, best interest to bring him in at all. Like they're trying to shed money and, and go young, especially in the bottom six. Right. And like no, no sick and Hathaway. I'd be, I'll be very surprised if either one of those guys were wearing a Bruins jersey next year. So I don't think that's what the Bruins are trying to do philosophically. And I, I don't think Lucic has any interest in coming to a Boston team with potentially no Bergeron and no Krejci and a half-assed chance of making the playoffs. So, love Lucic, great guy, awesome Bruin, but it just doesn't make sense, I don't think, for either party this offseason. I mean, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys also weren't for bringing back Felino, right? For not necessarily the same reasons, but similar reasons? I mean, I, I would have been okay. Like, I was fine if, if someone claimed Felino last year when they waived him. But um, what I I didn't like the idea of like trading Felino and tacking on picks just to move his money. Like, if someone wanted to claim him, fine. But otherwise, like, you might as well have tried to see what he could give you last year. And obviously, he ended up having a pretty good season. Um, I don't even think those situations are similar, though. Like, I don't. I think Felino is still a better player than Lucic. Like, I think Lucic is – they've both fallen off in their 30s. They've both had 
very physical taxing careers, but I think Lucci just fallen off even more than Felino ever really did. What I'm saying is Felino is a free agent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, if, oh, you it, mean this year? Oh, I thought you meant last year. Mm-hmm. My bad. It kind of depends for me. Like, I, if Bergeron and Krejci come back, or let's just say Bergeron comes back, and the Bruins are really fighting to to keep him and and financially and still keep a competitive team, because if Bergeron comes back, it's it's not you're not running back the same group, but your your, your expectations are still going to be playoffs at, at the bare minimum, right? And I don't know in that situation that you necessarily will have room for Felino unless he just takes a like a league minimum. However, if Bergeron and Krejci both retire, in that situation, I still could see us. I, I could still see value in having at least one veteran guy on the on, on the roster who's been a captain in this league to still be that that presence for a very young team, a much younger team. So I think if Bergeron and Krejci decide to, to to hang them up, I think the value for veteran leadership, at least one guy outside of Marshan, is I think that value goes up. But if ironically, if they bring back some of those guys, it might be tougher for them to keep them. So, you know, I like Felino a lot. I don't think he's going to break the bank to to resign in Boston either way. I just need to see what I need to see what what this Bruins team is looking like as we get towards September and training camp. I need to see what the, what they, they think that this season could potentially be. So I'm not I'm not saying yes or no necessarily. It just depends for me on the situation. But I definitely like his leadership in the locker room. Uh, either way, you know, yeah, he's a, good, he's a good guy, good player. Well, I would say guy. like like definitely would not go over a million for either Felino or Lucic. But if I have the option between maybe one of them for less than a million, like for a league minimum type thing, I would rather have Felino. One, he's he's already here right now, so he's been with this group. You know, Lucic has only been with, you know, for guys that are left from when he was here, Marsha and Bergeron, Krejci. Um, yeah, Felino does. Felino does have leadership, and he had a he had a good season last year. So, um, yeah, so I would be, I would be okay with that, but. If it's going to be for anything more than like league minimum or nine hundred thousand, then I just, I just, I think the Bruins have to go really cheap, like at the bottom of the roster. That's just the reality of their situation. Scott, how did, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you forget about the combination of Ryan Spooner, Milan Lucic, and David Pasternak? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're how right. How long has Pasternak Ryan Spooner been out of the league? God, oh, that guy. I, I remember him. Oh, God. Um, yeah, Scott, how dare you? Yeah, Ryan yeah. Spooner got, got traded to the Rangers, I think, right? And just turned into the best player in the world for about two weeks and never, never heard of him again. Yeah, right. It was like the same thing when uh, they when they traded Ryan Donato. Like, he was hot right away with Minnesota and then, you know, settled into reality. Yeah, uh, sw- swivel hip Spooner. Always had <laughs> that... <laughs> Had that speed move down the wing where he'd open his hips hips up. Yeah. He yeah. actually he actually was playing some of his best hockey as a Bruin when they when they traded him. And then he, and then he had a good finish to the season with, with the Rangers that year too. I think that was 17-18. But yeah, I mean, obviously if he wasn't able to stick around the league, then uh yeah, it must have been a must have been an anomaly. So yeah. Uh any other of these mailbag questions you guys want us to rifle through or I think we're good. I think we can keep some for the future um we've already gone an hour so <laughs> good perfect the, the only thing i was gonna say and we're probably running out of time i wasn't gonna like go back and forth with mark because that that episode was also running long but i disagree on, on the idea that like you need an enforcer type or someone people are gonna be scared of like i, I, think- I, I kind of think kind of think that error is gone and like i look around at the teams that are still playing now and i'm like they don't have that guy and it, it hasn't hurt them. So, you know, it, like if you can find one who can also play and be a meaningful contributor, awesome. It's, it's an added bonus, but I don't think it's something that you need to go out of your way to try to address. Yeah, no, I mean, if you think about the way the team was built last year, Greer, I would say you wouldn't, he would step up for you. Frederick Felino. There were plenty of guys, I think that were guys that, would step up and stand up for players if somebody got hurt. So uh, I also thought that that was kind of 
not really the first uh, thing I would be worried about in terms of what the Bruins need to add this offseason. I would, I would agree with you guys, but I will ask you this, though. Let's say hypothetically that – because I, I don't think this Bruins team necessarily lacked team toughness. I, I don't think they were the toughest team, but I don't think they lacked – toughness and I don't I don't think they lacked pushback and willingness to stand up for one another but I'm just gonna ask this question so this past year they they lost to Florida in seven games and I think I think what was that Scott oh sorry never mind um I thought that uh, <laughs> I thought well, that um I was wondering like if he's barking at what's in the background because I think someone drove by is driving by like with their base blasting so yeah that was melvin guys i don't know if you can on youtube see him he's kind of in the shadow back there he was sometimes he just wakes up from a dream and he's angry i don't know <laughs> he was barking at something in his dream who knows um, one hour was long enough for him to stay silent he's he is ready to talk he did, he did a good job uh i'll just cut to the chase that uh, before melvin barks again um matthew kachuk and sam bennett in particular i thought were very effective in getting under the skin of the Bruins. Radko Gudis was another one. If if Ryan Reeves is on the Bruins in that playoff series, do you think that those players don't care and they're still going to do what they're going to do? Like, do you think they do you think they're running around as as conscious free if 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 a guy like Reeves is there to just or do you think do you think guys like Bennett and Kachuk and Gudis are such gamers they don't care like they'll get their heads taken off if the, if if it means doing what they have to do anyway. Yeah, I don't think they care. I mean, get like, I, I I really don't think that like the old school enforcer really. I don't think they ever really deterred guys from doing stuff. Like the game was dirtier when there were more enforcers playing. Um, there were more cheap shots twenty twenty five years ago. Um, so I don't really think it matters. Like I think back to, you know, the when Bruins had. So Daniel Chower and Sean Thornton, like you, you couldn't be have like more, two more intimidating guys. Like those guys, you know, Thornton obviously fought a lot. Chower didn't fight a ton, but you knew he could kill someone when he did. Um, and yet, like you still had dipshits like Matt Cook running around taking cheap shots. So like it's certain guys just aren't gonna care, no matter who's who's on the other team. Like in, in a way, I think and not and I'm not putting Kachuk. Bennett Gudis in that category like that they're not Matt Cook but I, I just I, I don't think it's really all that much of a deterrent like honestly I think if if you had Ryan Reeves Matthew Kachuk would be like go ahead put Ryan Reeves on the ice at the same time as me I'm gonna have a blast with this like help skate circles around that guy here we go you know so um yeah, yeah I don't really think it matters all that much yeah that that series against the Canucks back in 2011 it in retrospect and in the moment, it was the, the perception was that the Bruins just you know kicked the crap out of Vancouver all series, and they did. But that didn't stop you know, what was his name? Yannick Hansen and LaPerriere and Max LaPerriere or, or uh Burroughs. Like those guys Aaron were, Rome stepping into Horton. Yeah. I mean those guys were cup checking McQuaid and you know, obviously being you know, uh, yeah, Hansen like legit just blindsided Andrew Ferrens from like like with like five minutes left in game seven, like the puck wasn't even near him. Like literally would have been like a five game suspension probably today. So yeah. And those guys had, yeah, that team had Lucic and Thornton and Chara and McQuaid. And yeah. So yeah, I guess, um, but I just wanted to ask that question. Cause I feel like maybe that's like the underlying tone of, 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 of Mark's stance there. Just nobody will push. will even think about pushing around and maybe you can take teams off of their game, but yeah. Anyway, different game nowadays, I suppose. So. He just wants um, more fights, and we all we all kind of do just want more fights. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down to watch another fight. Yeah, and like I do understand his point of like having someone who can actually like fight and do damage, which like I, I think Char could for years. Whereas you know, Bridget, you listed off like the guys who are willing to fight on this team, and absolutely they have some of those guys, but they're all kind of like wild swingers, where it's like they're gonna they're going to cock back and like just throw like crazy, but they probably land like one out of every 12 punches. So 
Um, you know, like how yeah, much they're, damage they're not they... Sean Thornton who in the off season just boxed every day. <laughs> like, I mean, Lego boxes, Lego did boxing, but I mean, AJ Greer and Trent Frederick, every time they get in a fight, I honest to God, no matter who they fight, whether it's a lightweight, middleweight, borderline, like I always think that they're going to get knocked out cold because they don't, they don't protect their, like they just w- watch Frederick's fights, watch Greer's fights. They, there's no defense. They just, they, and they don't even like, they don't like do like straight jabs like like they they do these like big circle like it's like guys you're totally your 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 chest and your and your face and your your head's totally exposed to somebody who knows what they're doing it hasn't happened to them yet i mean wayne simmons caught career a couple times but frederick he's he's a wild one he's a wild one but i think he's so he's kind of so broad and he he kind of just like grabs the other guy's jersey with his left hand and he's he's i think that's why he kind of doesn't get hit that often but yeah not a lot of defense with these guys but yeah the um halftime pizza 10 years from now there's gonna be no more hockey fight highlights to show they're just gonna be showing uh goalie hugs probably (laughs) that's another question for next week actually (laughs) we have a goalie hug question so yeah three quick no's on that one um (laughs) bridget scott you guys have anything else before we wrap this up No, I'll give it for me. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.